Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third installment of our little winter celebration here on Out on the Tangent with the Merrimack Public Library. Today's episode is gonna look a little different. So, we are, because of the craziness of this time of the year, this is going to be recorded on two different days. And you are going to listen to a conversation between me and Kathy right now, and then another conversation between Kathy and our lovely, lovely page, Michelle, who has been doing a lot of research of her own. Yes, I'm very excited. I don't, I told Michelle, like, Michelle, I want you to do some fun things for the second half of this podcast, because we're talking about history in this part and not that history is not fun because it certainly is but because we've been doing goofy things for the other (laughs) podcast so we'll you'll see tomorrow all i know about tomorrow's session is that there's ghost stories involved so it's gonna be a ton of fun but i have no idea what it is gonna be about i'm excited i'm excited great okay so we are talking about Light festivals around the world, because we thought we wanted to incorporate lots of other different celebrations. And some of these don't occur in wintertime, which I found to be interesting. Um, But technically, Christmas is a festival of light, if you... Yes. So Strip it back a little bit. So our thought was, we've been very Christmas heavy, and Christmas is like the the birth of light in a christian context right like the light of the world Mm -hmm. and hanukkah is also a festival of light so we wanted to see what else was out there yeah and also i did not include kwanzaa in my researching because we have materials here that tell a little bit more about kwanzaa so if you're interested in learning about the traditions and cultural aspects of Kwanzaa, you can come into the library and we have some materials for you to learn all about that. I wanted to get in some like lesser known things for us to talk about. Okay. So the first one that is another thing that we have materials about here in the library, but I think, but I wanted to learn a little bit more about, and that is Diwali. Okay. Which is, we do have, I think we have a fair amount of stuff about Diwali. Yeah, we have a good handful. And it is usually around the time of Halloween. It is a Hindu festival of light. So people who practice the Hindu religion, as well as Buddhism is involved in it too. But it's mostly associated with the Hindu religion. It's a five-day festival. It celebrates the victory of light over darkness, good over evil, and knowledge over ignorance. It is associated with, and I'm sorry if I butcher this name, Lakshmi? Lakshmi? L-A-K-S-H-M-I. What do you think? Lakshmi? There you go. Kathy got it. I knew I was going to butcher it. (laughs) Goddess of Prosperity. And it is celebrated with oil lamps and colorful art circle patterns. So a little bit like oil lamp is sort of synonymous with Hanukkah. It's in a different context completely, but sort of. Yeah, a shared element. So I wanted to learn more about Diwali because I grew up with 
the family the family that lived in my neighborhood was very close to me and they were from India so I grew up going to like the Diwali festivals and not knowing anything about it and I wanted to learn a little bit more about it so there we go there's that one so I wanted to try and pull from like most of the continents around the world okay so the next one is called um Aomori Nebuta Matsuri and that is celebrated in Japan it's held from August 2nd through August 7th every year, and it is a celebration of this one city in Japan, and they have a large, colorful parade, and it is celebrating different Japanese gods and mythological beings, which I thought was really cool, because I didn't know that there was any Japanese-specific gods, which I think is interesting. I thought I knew there was, like... Things like, you know, we all have heard of the Chinese Lunar New Year and all of that. And I don't know. I just never. Did you know that there was specific Japanese gods? No, but I'm not surprised. I wasn't surprised either. I've just I just never thought about it. Because I learned we learned a lot about like Chinese Lunar New Year in school. And I never thought that like japan would have their own set of gods i guess i wish ben was still here because i'm sure he could tell us a little bit more about it yeah he spent a decent amount of time in living in japan yeah a couple years in japan and i think i read a book with characters in japan and they had like their household like their household altar with their like deities and also mm-hmm. ancestors. Yeah. So I guess if I broaden out that context, it's a no brainer. Like, of course, every region has. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, but you, it looks... you hear about like Hindu gods far more. In America. Yeah, where we are. Like, where we're at. Yeah, where we are and a lot of the things that come into America from Japan are like anime and they're sort of like pop culture things that we've adapted in America. Like Nintendo comes from Japan, which I think a lot of people know. Pokemon comes from Japan. <laughs> so like we get a lot of their pop culture things, but I don't think they're like other like cultural things come into our lives that aren't like something that is worldwide an interesting thing that i just thought of in japan it's very traditional for them to have kfc for christmas i love that which i think is so interesting and it's one of my favorite fun facts um next one is from spain And it's celebrated... I don't know. Maybe you know this one. It's the Valencia Fallis. No. No? Okay. I'm surprised that you don't know this one because it's very up your alley. It is held in commemoration of St. Joseph. It's held from the March 15th through March 19th annually. And Fallis refers to the celebration itself and monuments. And basically what it is is monuments and... Monuments are... And... like parade float type things are built and some of them are in commemoration of St. Joseph's. Some of them are like political statements. Some of them are 
embodiments of things that people would like to get off their chest. Okay. And then at the end of the week, there's a giant fireworks show and everything is burned. I love that. Yeah. That's <laughs> very cool. <laughs> like, that seems like Kathy, up Kathy's alley. Yes. It's like, you know, it's basically like a big, like, um, cathartic, let's get rid of our emotions week. <laughs> Or, like, let's blow off steam week. So they have um, this group in every neighborhood of Valencia called the Casal Fale. And it work, they work all year long holding fundraising parties and dinners and just to get enough money to build these giant, like, parade floats and stuff. They have the La, Masc- La Mascleta. I speak Spanish, guys. Sorry. <laughs> it's like, doesn't sound like I do. Fireworks display. They have a fireworks display actually every day. I misspoke. They have fireworks every day at two p.m. <laughs> There's a lot of fire involved in this. That's in this a lot. Festival of lights. So, and the burning is called la crema. It's that's Valencian for burning. So, like la crema in Spanish is the cream, but Valencia has like a different dialect. So there's different words that mean different things. So. They built structures and they burned them down at the peak of the festival. The they also call them puppets. I couldn't remember when I was talking before. Like political puppets are burned down. Like they have like I've seen imagery. I learned about this in my high school, one of my high school Spanish classes. They'll build puppets and like tie them to stakes and burn them down. <laughs> Which okay. is like, you know, I think it's pretty cathartic. And it's also a symbol of new beginnings in springtime. First thing I think about when I think about spring is fire. <laughs> yeah. I that, get it. It works for me. I get it. I just think it's funny if you think about like the American connotation of spring is like blooming and baby animals and bunnies and sunshine. <laughs> well, sure, which is also rooted in pagan rituals and Eastern yeah. and Western Europe. Um but yeah, like fire, because if you think about like new growth after a forest fire, yeah, like the forest has to burn in order to make room for new life. Mm-hmm. So I I can track that. I think it's fabulous. Yeah, that's very I don't, cool. I don't know how they don't burn down the city every year carefully. Yeah, because that's that's scary. Like if we try to do that in America, I don't really know if it'll pan out too well. Well. I'm sure they're prepared now because they do it every year, but yeah, and also burning something. I don't know. You looked at pictures. I didn't. I, I as always, I'm going into this blind. So, like, imagine like, if you're in a piazza with like a stone foundation. You're yeah, not, like out in the middle of the forest, or no. are they? No, they're not. They're in like Valencia is very like not vegetation heavy. Maybe for yeah. that reason. I don't know. But imagine like. A little bit smaller scale Macy's Day Parade floats. Okay. Like, that's the size of things that they're burning. Okay. And they're having fireworks on top of that every day. Sure. Which, like, you know, the Disney World has fireworks every day. Yeah. And nobody thinks that's weird. So, like, I, I don't know. I think, like, here, because especially we're in New Hampshire, and there's trees everywhere <laughs> yes i don't think are... that would be a wise decision where we are in new hampshire to new hampshire that. is like a high vegetation area <laughs> yeah and 
we got a lot of like things that'll burn up real quick. Yeah. And luckily, you know, as opposed to the West Coast, you know, like you think like where there's yeah. high vegetation but high forest fires. Yeah. Uh New England is wet and gloomy. Yeah. <laughs> Especially this time of year. We're like forks light. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Except today, it's almost 60 degrees in the middle of December, which is very yeah, weird. Yeah, weird, but <laughs> gloomy. Yeah. It's, like, gross and rainy. Yeah. It's still warm, though. I walked outside, and I was like, ooh, it's warm. Yeah. <laughs> is I, it raining on me? Sure, but it's warm. I guess I would rather rain than snow, because rain doesn't require cleanup. Yeah. But, but also, it's... It's December, so, yeah. like, I want it to be snow. I know. I want it to feel like winter. I always say, like, it can snow from December to January, and then I'm done. Yes, yeah. Like, like past January, I'm like, I don't care. It's not well, winter anymore. Yeah, and past January, there's, like, too much salt and sand on the roads, and all the snow is, like, brown, beige, <laughs> and dirty looking. <laughs> like, it, it's not... It's not what you see in movies when you see like beautiful New England snow. It's like that's for like the first day, <laughs> yeah. And then it gets plowed, and all the dead leaves kick up on top of it, and it's like, and the salt, like, yeah. Sometimes it's like a nice blue tie dye looking thing. Yes, because salt. of the yeah. deicer they treat the roads mm-hmm. with. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> let's get. Speaking of places where it's cold, the next one is in Lyon, France. Great segue. <laughs> so this is something that takes place on December 8th every year, and it expresses gratitude towards Mary, mother of Jesus. Okay. Um, which, because I think France is mainly Catholic Christian. Yeah, historically history, anyways. Yeah. So and December 8th is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Okay. I did not That's know that. <laughs> the feast that celebrates Mary being conceived, not Mary conceiving Jesus. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Um, because the Catholic belief is that in order for her to fulfill her destiny as the mother of God, she had to be conceived without original sin. Okay. So that she had to be pure enough to, like, carry Jesus. Okay, got it. Yeah, that's the... Okay, sorry. So it really... It's not anything that you would think. Basically, the whole town is decked out in Christmas lights. Okay. That's it. It's just like a big, like, people come out in the streets and they light up the whole town with Christmas lights. Sounds beautiful. And they have, like, I saw a picture of, like, they had, like, the Star of Bethlehem, like, up above the town. So, like, there is some religious context, but it's not... To my knowledge, not a lot. It's just they go hmm. out in the streets in the middle of the night and they light up the whole town. Interesting. Which I'm sure is another thing that for them sort of like marks the start of the Christmas season if we're talking about Mary and Jesus. Yeah. So that's all I have. I found one from Australia. Oh, good. I'm glad you did. Um, I have no idea how to pronounce this festival. Is it like, again, I'm going to butcher the name. Is it like their Aborigine culture? Yes. Okay. Is that so, how you pronounce that? That's how I read it. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce Aboriginal. it. Aboriginal. Okay. Yeah. So, P-A-R-R-T-J-I-M-A. But I have heard creators on TikTok speaking, like, 
the Aboriginal, like the native language or language languages and Mm-hmm. My brain does not understand where the sounds come from, so I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Okay. Uh, because I will be very wrong. Um, and if we weren't recording, I might like listen to it a hundred times and then still butcher it. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> P-A-R-R-T-J-I-M-A, all one word, is the meeting place where old meets new. It's the only authentic Aboriginal light festival showcasing the oldest continual culture on the earth through mm-hmm. the newest technology. Um, it takes place, it's it's celebrated, like this festival particularly celebrates it um, in the, in Alice Springs of the Northern Territory in Australia. Um, it celebrates the ways in which artists evolve and experiment with different styles and materials and it is described as a festival of light and they light up the McDonnell ranges in central Australia. Okay. So I, uh, and it lasts for 10 nights. Okay. From April 8th to the 17th. For 2022. Those are like the 2022 dates. Okay. So. Seasonally, that is their winter? Yeah, they would be (laughs) heading into winter. Okay, so yeah, that's sort of like what we were looking at up here in the Northern Hemisphere, like that that, um, time range. Yeah, and it, the images are very colorful. Is it light, like light bulbs or is it light like fire it's light like paint okay i i don't when you know. when you were first describing it like the celebration of artists using different materials the only thing that came to my mind was burning man which i think so, is completely different <laughs> storytelling art lighting installations okay so like art installations using different electricity um and i'm guessing it's like a celebration of aboriginal artists right yes okay (laughs) it's not specified cooking i mean it seems to be like it's just a big cultural festival Mm -hmm. spotlight on central australian bush food um national indigenous music awards okay um the 2020 Indigenous Language Award finalist will be there or was there. It's, yeah, I mean, the pictures are, it's hard to tell what's going on. It seems like there's a lot of electronic lights and, like, them projecting patterns onto the ground. Oh, okay. I'm just going to pass you my phone. Everyone should go look it up. I've spelled it twice. You can Google it and look at the oh, pictures. It's very that's, interesting. It reminds me a little bit of like some of the like Dia de los Muertos celebrations. Like that sort of like color scheme. Yeah, the color scheme. Wow, that is really cool. Yeah, and I can't tell really from the pictures what's exactly going on and the festival website 
oh, does not give a ton of information. This one looks like it could be a representation of like aboriginal storytelling the way that it's created. It looks yeah. like it's just a celebration of their aboriginal culture, which is beautiful. And it looks like that's made out of like what we would call Christmas lights here, like little like LED bulb lights. Yeah. It's... Or like if you think about this is a really bad reference, but if you think about the New Hampshire Speedway, <laughs> how they do lights there, it looks like that, but with more cultural significance and beauty than. Yeah, and less capitalism if we're yeah. comparing it to the new hampshire speedway i was just trying to think of like, a all like Santa. <laughs> southern new hampshire tour of lights oh that is true that's an actual thing that we could <laughs> relate to this so the merrimack public library works um we frequently will are able to partner with our parks and rec and a number of parks and recreation departments in New Hampshire have worked together to create a festival of lights, like a light, a holiday light tour. And that information is available. If you go to the Merrimack Parks and Rec website, there's a page and there's links to take you to the list of addresses of everyone who has signed up to decorate their house and participate in this holiday light tour. Um, And then from that link, you can also like, download the map route directly to your phone. Yeah, I was wondering, they did that last year and I didn't know what the status on that was. Yes, it is live and I can't wait. I had a ton of fun last year going around to different towns and exploring. And Yeah, I just went with my family to the ones around Merrimack, but it was so fun. Merrimack has some of the best Christmas lights. Mm -hmm. Like some people go all out and I so appreciate their cheer. It's a lot of work. (laughs) Yes, it is. My family does it not to the scale of like most of the houses that you think of when you think of the ones that Kathy and I are thinking of. Yes. (laughs) Which is like you could see it from space and they put a lot of effort into it. Um, But I we have like a really tiny display like we have my brother got a pine tree in like third grade on Earth Day, like a little sapling pine tree. He planted it in our front yard. And it's now, like, eight feet tall. Okay. So we decorate that as a Christmas tree because pine trees are semi-related to Christmas trees, which, like, are evergreen Um, Yeah, pines are (laughs) part of the evergreen umbrella. Okay. (laughs) A lot of Christmas trees are um, different species of, like, fir, F-I-R. I couldn't think of the name of it. Anyway, so that's up there. Wrap the lights around that. We got some inflatables. We got a couple like little like you know what the those little reindeer that have lights on them and their heads will yeah. like move back and forth. We have those, but in different animal forms. Like we got a seal Fun. with a little hat and an elephant on with a hat on a little ball. And I love that. A train and that's... snowflakes and stuff. But that took us four hours. Like we were outside for four hours trying to put that up, and that's... I'm like. I don't know how long these other people lot. spend on it. And we watch this TV show called The Great Christmas Light Fight. Yes. Those people go nuts. And they start yeah. in like July. And I'm like, I don't have the patience for that. No, I love watching like shows, documentaries, like whatever, behind the scenes of Christmas lights because it's so much. I mean, it is like a year long commitment yeah. to try and like plan everything out and how are you going to change it? How are you going to improve it? 
let alone like the ones that have it synced up with music and oh my goodness. I so appreciate their effort, but I could never in a million years. Yeah. I think it's I think it's fun. I'm a person that likes to decorate. It's just in the time of the year where I mean not today, but it's cold and windy. And it's hard to put up outside decorations when it's cloudy, cold and windy. I have fun with Halloween because it's like 65 degrees. And you're not trying to pick it up in the snow. Yeah. That's really, that was always my family. We would like do lights in the windows, but it was all mounted from the inside. Yeah. Because it's like, we're not trying to set up a ladder in maybe on the frozen ground, but maybe in four feet of snow. I mean, you just, you just never know like what the conditions are going to be by the time you're trying to take them down nope. and then they're up until April and yeah well my parents have been doing it for like 20 years so they've like developed a system on how to take them down in the middle of the snow More and my dad will them. like snow blow around them <laughs> and make like a little track um but anyway that was a tangent that we really just went on and yeah. ran with it so if you're Christmas looking for, if you're looking for that do we have a link to the southern new hampshire tour of lights on our website I think um, we might. We had shared it on social media. Okay. But I'm not sure if it's on our website, but it definitely is on the Merrimack Parks and Rec website. Okay. And if you're looking for another uh, avenue to get to that, you can look on our Facebook page and our Instagram, I believe it's on our Instagram. Yep. It should have been posted. I know it's on our Facebook because that's how I found it the other day. Yeah. And I imagine it's also on our Instagram. And obviously, Mark, nope, Merrimack Parks and Rec, not Mark. Their Facebook page should have all that information as well. And now I'm going to throw it over to tomorrow where Michelle and Kathy are going to pick up this conversation and talk about something completely and utterly different than (laughs) what we were just talking about. All right, so I am Michelle the Page at the Merrimack Library, and I'm going to do a little bit of talking about the tradition of telling ghost stories at Christmas time. So when and where was it most popular? When did it start? And why did it fall out of popularity? Because it's not really something we do now. And I'm yeah. joined by Kathy. I forgot to introduce you. Yes, Sorry. I'm, I'm still here, everybody. I'm... But um, so before I get started... I got a lot of information from the Smithsonian Magazine's website, two articles, Why Do People Tell Ghost Stories on Christmas by Kat Eschner, that was 2016, and A Plea to Resurrect the Christmas Tradition of Telling Ghost Stories by Colin Dickey in 2017. So Kathy, do you, are you familiar that like ghost stories at Christmas time was a really big thing for a while or? Not really. I mean, I guess I... I could have supposed as much because a Christmas carol is essentially a ghost story. But yeah, it never has been part of my tradition, so I never really thought about it. Yeah, and it's interesting because a Christmas carol is so popular still and so many versions of it get made. And I thought it was an anomaly. And I thought that's why it was so popular. Like, oh, we got a Christmas ghost story. And one... But no, um, in the Victorian era, which is 1837 to 1900, in the United Kingdom, it was very popular 
to on Christmas Eve, you gathered with your friends, your family, you told ghost stories at night. And that started, the Christmas Carol did kind of kick it off. Okay. But every single Christmas for the rest of the 1800s, tons of ghost stories were being published in magazines. Dickens wrote more than that. He wrote five or six very similarly plotted. Hmm. A man hates holiday. Man gets ghost visit. Man loves holiday now. Um, and the full, oh, a piece of trivia. The actual full title of A Christmas Carol is A Christmas Carol in Prose Being a Ghost Story of Christmas. But we've dropped most of that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Do you have a... It's... Oh. Oh, I'm just thinking out loud. We had talked in a previous episode about um, the the way that the Victorian era in England gave a lot of the more modern Christmas traditions that um, Queen Victoria's husband was German and had brought a lot of these Germanic traditions in that we have adopted and have become like very synonymous with our Christmas culture. So it's interesting that this ghost story part also is happening in the Victorian era. It seems like it was a real historical time period for like the evolution of Christmas celebrations. Yeah. It's just interesting timing. And it's interesting because in America, Christmas didn't really take off for a long time. The Puritans did not want the Christmas celebrations happening. It was even outlawed. I think I saw Christmas was outlawed in Boston from like 1669 to 1683 or something. Hmm. So England's doing this whole super Christmas stuff. And it's not really transferring. Uh, but let's see. But the idea of telling ghost stories around Christmas, around winter, when it was cold, far predated the Victorian era. People were doing it before Christmas was even a holiday. It was a thing to do at winter around the solstice because they believed the shortest day of the year was the day the spirits were the closest to us, that ghosts could okay. come in. So, so they, I was reading that a lot of people think that the idea, the verbiage we use to describe ghosts like icy touch and cold specter and in the shadows came because you would be telling it in the winter time that ghosts are kind of presented as cold because of. Okay. That makes sense. Kind of. Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting. Um, I did want to ask, do you have a favorite adaptation of a Christmas carol? We had this conversation yesterday. Okay. And because we were we were trying to set up for you. Oh, okay. Um okay. and I know that Sam went through and did some editing. So I'm not sure how much of that conversation is going to be in the final cut of the episode. Um we don't just talk into mics. There is, you know, some effort. <laughs> um and I have to admit that I am not a huge fan of the Christmas Carol and have sort of avoided it on purpose because I am a hipster. And so because it's very popular and very highly adapted, I want nothing to do with it. Yeah, as a kid, I I always found it boring and then until the last five minutes, terrifying. You know, any adaptation. Yes. So I, as a kid, didn't really like it because it was an hour of nothing and then five minutes of utter terror because that specter at the end is always terrifying. 
as an adult, I've come to like the Muppet one. My my husband's side of the family, that's their thing, and they introduced me to the Muppet Christmas Carol, and it is very, it's it's very cute. It's very nice. Though the Spectre's still very scary, so. Yeah, fun. Sam had said that's her favorite, too. Yeah? And I had shared that um, one of the YouTubers that I watch, um, Dominic Noble, does adaptation reviews, books versus movies, and The Muppets is, like, one of the most loyal adaptations of the book. Interesting. I've heard that. I Because I think I read the book... In high school, it's it's a it's short, it's a novella. I don't really remember it, so I, I don't remember how the story was. But another thing about the Christmas space ghost story is they often didn't have anything to do with Christmas, so you could okay. tell any kind of ghost story at Christmas. It didn't have to be Christmas Carol is a little bit of an anomaly because often it was more like urban legends. You'd say, "So this happened to my friend's sister," and you tell like this urban legendy story about something that supposedly happened to someone could take place in the summer, whatever. So a good example of that, Henry James's The Turn of the Screw, which was 1898, starts with a group of men telling a ghost story. And someone said, claims that this happened to someone they knew. And then they tell The Turn of the Screw, which I don't think has anything to do with Christmas at all. And then The Woman in Black, which was 1983, also has a very similar, it starts at Christmas Eve and someone's asked to tell a Christmas story and he thinks back to this terrifying thing that happened in his youth. Nothing to do with Christmas. I think the movie dropped that element. The Daniel Radcliffe movie yeah. that came out. I don't, because it does a different thing at the end so it wouldn't even make sense. <laughs> but I don't even think they retained it for that. So I thought that was interesting that it just has more to do with being cold and being scared than actual like the holiday. So then why did the hmm. tradition end? Why don't, yeah, why where'd don't we it go? It? We should bring it back. Well, that's a lot of people are trying to kind of ease it back into their celebrations because if it's Christmas Eve, you know you're not going to sleep anyway. Why not just scare the pants off of everyone? Because you're going to be up all night. But around 1915, it kind of dropped off. Like even, even in America where it had kind of started to come over to, and people think World War One had a lot to do with that. So that's 1914, okay, 1918. Yeah. That people around the holidays were like, we don't want to be talking about dead people and things right now. And sure. then it kind of just dropped down. And then with the Depression and mm-hmm. everything, like people just didn't want, they wanted Christmas to be happy. Let's think about happy things, nice things. And it just kind of drifted away. And, and then we retained all the other Victorian stuff, but not the ghosts. Uh, So, and then also too, so Halloween started as more of like a heritage holiday, but slowly that kind of sucked all the ghost stuff. Yeah. It sort of transferred over. Okay. Yeah. So around, Mm. around the early 1900s, that was also happening. That Halloween's taking on more of the the spooky ghost stuff and Christmas is now trying to be more like positive, happy time, you know, things. But piece of trivia yes it's the most wonderful time of the year the song yeah written in 1963 okay has a line there will be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of christmas as long ago yes that's true and we all sort of sing it without thinking about it i never i didn't even know that line was in the song and i know this like i know the song yeah i didn't even (laughs) think about that's weird like okay Interesting that 
that song happened so much later than the, like the tra- tradition fell out of favor, but it was still present enough to be included. Yeah, like the memory of it being a thing yeah. in the early 60s was still kind of... I mean, that's 50 years after it falls out of favor almost. Yeah. Weird. So that's most of my fact background stuff, but I was thinking about trying to tie it into something people could do. We yep. could bring back telling stories, ghost stories, any stories for the holidays. I was thinking, how cool would it be if you wrote a story for someone and gave it to them for the holiday? It doesn't take money. You know, like, if you don't have a lot of funds, if you can't get out to shop, if you can't see someone in person, you could write them a story. And that would mean a lot. Like, that's that's something, that's a gift that forever that person would be very excited to have. Yeah, so. it's a very personal gift. Yeah. And it doesn't cost anything. Yeah. So we have lots of books in the children's room about helping people learn to write, writing prompts, writing creative stuff. And also urban legends are a really fun way to get a jumping point for writing your own scary story. And a lot of published authors write entire books or stories based on urban legends. They take a two-line thing, they run with it, and now you have your own story. So we also have a lot of scary story collections that have stories based on urban legends in the children's room. And those are really fun to look through. Yeah. And up in teen as well, there's like, there's very, very successful authors who started their careers this way. Yeah. And it's like the gateway to genre fiction. Pretty much. And so like, I like to write short stories and scary short stories and I will, if I need inspiration, I'll just go on Snopes. And just look at urban legend things for a few hours and think, how could you put that in or adapt it or do something else with that? So, yeah, that's my holiday top tip if you're looking for a non-financial way to give a gift in the next few weeks here. I was looking for more information behind the scenes. I am frantically Googling. I was looking for information, like wondering if, is the most wonderful time of the year, like, started as an older poem and was later set to music? No, none no, of that. It, two dudes wrote it in 63. Yeah. And it was on. I like, thought there must be more to the story there, but there's not. Yeah. So the timing still boggles me. But, but yeah, so we'll bring it back. We can bring it back. And then it can yeah. be more than a Christmas carol. Because, honestly, it's been, over, it's been done so many times. Let's, let's make a new Christmas carol. Yeah, stories. something new. So, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Very well-researched segment. You're putting us to shame. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry. I feel like I just, I had notes and I was rushing through and I'm like, this was supposed to be a conversation and I am just talking. So I'm, I love hopefully it. it wasn't, hopefully it makes sense. I love it because okay. it uh, it's so different than our normal, like, come in with half-baked ideas and speculate a bunch with no facts. You're, you're really going to increase our intellectual reputation. Um, but... With that, I think we will sign off for this episode. I know that the format was a little bit weird because, like we said, we are recording it over a couple different days. Um, But I hope you enjoyed both segments, and we will be back in the new year with something weird. Don't know what it'll be, but it'll definitely include a bunch of tangents because we live up to our name. So, uh... We'll see you next time. 
Bye, everybody.